Welcome to Calvary Chapel Irmo's weekly verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible. Join us as Pastor David leads us through Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 25, teaching us about our adoption in Christ. Let's listen now. Lord Jesus, we will rise because we've been adopted into your kingdom. We will rise on that day when you call us forth, Father. Father, you, you call us even today to rise up spiritually and heed your call, Lord, to pure, wholehearted devotion, Lord, to you, Jesus. Mm. You are so amazing, Lord. We love you, Lord, as we continue in your, from worship into your word. Lord, uh, continue to minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we're looking at an amazing subject this morning. Adoption. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but just looking out across the fellowship and looking at myself, you know, were you adopted? Were any of you adopted as a child? Okay, we got a couple. I was too. I was too. We have adoptions ranging in this world from my type. My mother is my biological mother. She gave birth to me. But then she married Harold Ford. He became my father. And I think it was 1980, we went to go see Melvin D. Bannister, downtown Lexington. And Harold says, I want to adopt David and make him my son. And he adopted me. He took me in. He took ownership of me. He, I became his child. Maybe not biologically, but more importantly, as a father, he became my father. That's that type of adoption. And then you have adoptions where people travel to Russia and spend lots and lots of money to adopt an orphan child in Russia. So you have, a, uh, you have adoptions from mine, the way I was adopted, to adoptions in um, going overseas, to adoptions here domestic in the United States. But check this out. Did you know that you were adopted? You were adopted. Look, it's that, this first song we sang. Who brings our chaos back into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the king of glory, the king of glory. He brings our chaos back into order. He makes the orphan a son and daughter. You and I were an orphan. We came into this world spiritually bankrupt. We came into this world spiritually dead. And when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we became born again. We have a new father. He's called the Heavenly Father. And we're going to see some amazing texts this morning that we call him Abba, Father. Literally, Daddy. You are my father. We're going to see that this morning. But we were all adopted. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. When a child is adopted, he has a new name, a new home, and a new life. And that's exactly what we're going to see this morning is what the Holy Spirit does in our life when we receive Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He adopts us. Let's go ahead and read the passage. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 19. You there? Say there. I'm there. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. You ever pondered that thought? You've been adopted into the kingdom. You've been adopted by the Heavenly Father, by the Holy Spirit, by trusting in Jesus Christ. And he's adopted you. What does that look like? What does that mean? What does adoption look like? It means you get a new name. You're now a Christian. You get a new home. Someone's now in your home, your heart, the Holy Spirit. You get a brand new life. Whatever was in the past is done away with. It's gone. It's forgotten. It's forgiven. And you have a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Let's pray, and then we'll go through this verse by verse and see what God says. Father, thank you for your word. As we dig into this verse by verse, teach us, Lord. Help me to teach your people what you have taught me this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. When you receive the Holy Spirit, when you are led by him, the text says there, first it says, number one, you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. What's it saying? It means you're not enslaved to sin. You are not bound by the old life. Everything that happened before you were adopted, you're forgiven. And you have a brand new life, a brand new start, a clean slate. There's reasons. There's reasons to be fearful before we come to Christ. Before I came to Christ, I, I remember I was enslaved to myself. I was enslaved to sin. And I always kept remembering thinking, how am I ever going to break free? Am I going to carry this bondage the rest of my life and die from it? But there was always this fear. How am I ever going to break free from this old life, from this old way? The second fear, what happens at death? But before I came to Christ, I, I remember it very clearly. I always had this fear of death. What happens on the other side? And I knew whatever happened on the other side, I wasn't prepared because I put no thought into it. And there was always this fear of what happens on the side. How about this one? My sins haunted me. My, my lifestyle of sin, it, it, it haunted me. And I always thought to myself, how can I find forgiveness? Will I be forgiven? And throughout my years before I came to Christ, I would throw up a Hail Mary every single night before I went to bed. Not knowing I wasn't right with God, I'd still throw up a Hail Mary. But there was this fear within me, deep down inside, in the quietness of my heart, and I just didn't know. And when I came to Christ, that fear was removed. The, 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 uh, the spirit of slavery, the spirit of slavery that um, verse 15 talks about, you know, can be seen in foster children. Can, can be seen in the life of a foster child. Number one, a child is, that we call in the system or a foster child, number one, they don't have a parent. They don't have a parent. Either they're incarcerated or they passed away, but they don't have a mommy and daddy. 
Foster children are subject to the system. They're subject to the system. They get thrown around, tossed to and fro. They don't know where they're going to be at next week. And in a foster child, there's the fear of the unknown. There's the fear of the unknown that unless you've been in that situation, you don't know how it feels. But we, me and Irene, the door has been opened and we've seen a little bit over the past couple of months. There's the fear of the unknown. As you know, me and Irene, are, we're fostering two little girls. And we, we, we want to minister to the whole family, to the mommy, to the daddy, to the little girls. We want, we want to help the little girls. We want to help their family. But um, Irene was talking with the grandmother a couple weeks ago, and the grandmother said, Caroline, what do you think about going and living with Mr. Dave and Miss Irene? Caroline said, uh, Mimo, you won't forget me, will you? She asked her grandmother, Mimi, whatever. Please don't forget us if we go there. That's not supposed to happen. That is not supposed to happen in the family of a child, in, in, in the life of a five- or six-year-old. There shouldn't be that fear of the unknown. But that's exactly what it is like before we come to Christ. And when we come to Christ, that fear of the unknown is removed because we have a heavenly Father and we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Question for you this morning. Have you ever asked that question? I know all of us in here, we don't have these perfect lives. I know some of us have battle scars from the past and we have difficult things that we've gone through. But let me ask you, have you ever asked that same question that Caroline asked? Asking God, will you forget me? Have you ever asked that question, wondering, God, will you ever leave me? Will you ever abandon me? Have you ever asked that question? We go through difficult trials in life. We go through difficult situations. And some of us have big things. And you magnify that thing that you've gone through, that sin or that rebellion or whatever situation where things are broken. And you ask yourself, God, have you forgotten me? If you've ever thought that question, or if you've ever wondered, have I gone too far? Or have I done something where God is going to forget me? If you've ever thought that, here's what God says to you this morning. Jesus said in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's our Heavenly Father. That's the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will come to you and adopt you. And he will not leave you as orphans. And the second there, um, second verse, Hebrews 13, 5b says, says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That is God's promise to you this morning, being in Christ Jesus. I don't care what you go through. I don't care how difficult the situation. I don't care how bad the scars are from the past. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He will not forget you. No matter where you go or what you do. I don't care if you go to the South Pole, the North Pole. I don't care what country you go to. I don't care where you travel. God is omniscient. He's almighty. He's all-knowing. And he knows exactly where you are. And he says, I will not forsake you. I will hunt you down. And I will pursue you with a holy passion until you surrender. 
the fifth, the fifth thing I want to share from this verse is when a child is adopted, he goes from no parent figure to a loving mom and dad. When a child is adopted, he goes from a subject of the system to stability. When a child is adopted, the greatest one, as we've seen with these girls, the, the, the fear of the unknown, they go from the fear of the unknown to stability, something that many of us take for granted. Many of us take for granted, but it leads us to a normal life. And that's what God wants us to have, a life uh, pleasing to him, a life that we live for him, a life that is normal, and we're not in chaos. When you receive the Holy Spirit, the, NA, the NASB renders this verse, you've received a spirit of adoption where all the other versions they capitalize Holy Spirit. I agree with all the other versions. He is the Holy Spirit of adoption. But when you receive the Holy Spirit of adoption, you have a parent figure in your life now. He's called the Heavenly Father who loves you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will come to you. The scripture says orphans. He won't leave you as orphans, but he'll come to you and make his heart, make your heart his home. You're no longer subject to the system. You're no longer subject to the system. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And there's no more fear when you're adopted as a child of God. There's no more fear. Because what does the scripture say? It says, God's perfect love does what? Cast out fear. That's what happens. We see it in the earthly realm of adoption we see it in the heavenly realm of adoption. And we need to grasp that and get a hold of that because we're in Romans chapter 8. This is the, the pinnacle, the cathedral of Christian truth. And right here in Romans chapter 8 is probably the most profound chapter. And God chose in his sovereignty to put this passage on adoption, him adopting us in Romans chapter 8. And in verse 15, it says there, it says you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment. It's a term that speaks of our relationship with God. It's a term of intimacy. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they want to have intimacy with us. And that's what happens in adoption. The Spirit comes in us, makes us a child of God, and we fall in love with Jesus. That's where we get the phrase, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's more than just a personal relationship. It's a, it's, a, um, it's a relationship between you and God of love and trust where you fall in love with Jesus and you love him more and more and more. Why? Because he's adopted you into his kingdom. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. What is the very first thing an adoptive parent does with children they adopt? What's the very first thing? They have to reassure the child that you are family. They have to reassure the child that they are loved and that you are part of our family. Well, God does the exact same thing by the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit of God testifies with our spirit you are no longer outside the family, but you are in the family. You are in a relationship with God that can't be bound. And a relationship 
that was purchased at Calvary by Jesus' shed blood and by his resurrection from the dead and his Holy Spirit coming. He reassures us. Verse 17. And if children, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. What does it say there? It says we're fellow heirs. We're fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You're in the family of God. You're adopted by the king. And check this out. You're not a second class. You're not a second class Christian. You're not a second class citizen. He calls you your own. It says there, it says we are heirs with Christ. We're part of the family. God is saying here, what is mine, what belongs to the Father and what belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ is now ours in Christ. It's called an inheritance by his Holy Spirit. What is our inheritance? A new life, a new mind, a, a new heart. You are part of an unshakable kingdom, a kingdom that can't be shaken. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. This earth will crumble and fall through the universe before God's kingdom is shaken because God's kingdom is what upholds all things. His sovereign hand, his sovereign power, holding the earth, holding the universe. But guess what else he's holding? He's holding you. And he's holding me because we have been adopted into the kingdom. We have been placed into the family of God. Big inheritance, big inheritance on the way. The rapture where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to split that eastern sky. He's going to come back as king of kings. And 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, and with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive shall be caught up and shall go to be with him in heaven. We have an inheritance, an eternal kingdom, and a place called heaven. The glory of heaven is part of our inheritance that we will see one day. The, the, the uh, adoption can be summed up, I believe, in two phrases. Spiritual adoption by God can be summed up in two phrases, but you can also see it in the natural realm. And, and, and parental child adoption is redemption. The first one is redemption. Process of adoption, you are redeemed. You are purchased back. Now, natural adoption, you know, it can cost upwards 20, 30, 40,000. If you want to go to China, if you want to go to Russia and adopt a child, it will cost a lot of money to do that. There's a big cost in adoption. But what did our adoption cost? Much more than twenty dollars or $30,000 or $50,000. It costs the Lamb of God. It, it, it took Jesus' blood to purchase us and to buy, to buy our adoption. So adoption can be seen in this. Robert has been redeemed by God. He's been purchased back. He's been bought back, and he's been brought into the family. But it doesn't stop there. The adoption can be seen in, in, in redemption, but adoption can be summed up in the second phrase is this, a new relationship with God, a love-trust relationship with God. That's what adoption looks like in the kingdom, and in the natural realm, we love God with all of our hearts. We trust him with all of our hearts. That is, that is the heart of adoption. 
is that new relationship. Going from chaos to order. Going from no family to a family. That is what adoption is. That's the picture of adoption. is redemption and a new relationship. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this present time, what are those? Those are trials. Those are tribulations. Those are tragedy. You know, as Christians, we're not immune from the effects of the fall in this world. It affects us just like it affects the world. It hits us, trials, tribulations, tragedy. But how do we deal with them? How do we deal when life throws us a curveball? When things don't go well? When someone passes away or someone has a, a sickness? How do we deal with those things? How do we get our minds wrapped around them? How does Pastor David do it? I have an eternal perspective on life. It reminds me to have an eternal perspective on life. My mom was about eight years old down in Augusta, Georgia, and she was walking my uncle, her little four- or five-year-old Billy, to the park. And they were uh, downtown Augusta. They were making their way to the park, and little Billy yanked out of my mom's hand and ran out and got hit by a car, and and he passed away. Very tragic to lose a four-year-old. And it devastated my family. It devastated my grandma and grandpa. It devastated all the sisters. But a couple years ago, at Christmas time, we were sitting down at the... um, at the dining room table down in Augusta, and I was talking with my Aunt Maxine. And uh, my Aunt Maxine, who lives now, who's now in Pensacola, Florida, she was telling me at the funeral, it was very tough to see him go down. And I was like, how did you deal with it? What did you do? How did you cope with Uncle Billy passing away? She said, I made a commitment to Jesus that day that I'm going to live for him and I'm going to see Billy again. And I'm going to spend eternity with Billy again. And one of the driving forces that she sat there and told me that, that night at the dinner table, she said, whenever she's tempted to sin, whenever the world is trying to pull and tug at her heart, she remembers that commitment she made that day as she was watching little Billy's casket lowered into the ground. I'm going to see Billy again. And I'm going to live for Jesus. And I'm going to serve Jesus. And that's kept her going. She took that tragedy, that very sad tragedy, and she, she um, through the grief, through the pain, through the heartbreak, she said, I'm going to have an eternal perspective on this. I will see him again. I will see my, uh, my, my uh, little brother Billy again because I'm going to live for Jesus all the days of my life. And Jesus' word says one day I'll be reunited with him. That's how we deal with tragedy. That's how we deal with tribulations. That's how we deal with trials. We've got to have an eternal perspective on life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, verses 19 through 22 is very interesting. Verses 19 through 22, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit writing through the Apostle Paul, is going to personify creation. He's going to give uh, human-like attributes to creation, per se. So let's check it out. We're going to read verses 19 through 22, then I'm going to bring three things to your attention from this passage. Uh, Verse 19, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffering suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. Creation is personified. And there's three things I want to show you in this text. The first one is in verse 19, where it says, creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. It's like creation is standing back and is saying, oh, I cannot wait for the sons of God to be revealed. The whole universe, the heavens and the earth is all waiting and looking to see the sons of God. The sons of God revealed. How are the sons of God going to be revealed? How is creation going to witness the sons of God being revealed? One, as I talked about a while ago, the rapture of the church. That's the next prophetic event on God's calendar. Is where the Lord Jesus, as I said a while ago, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, where Christ returns to take his church home and creation witnesses the rapture of the church. Then, seven years later after the tribulation, the return of Christ. The return of Christ and the millennial kingdom. The heavens and the earth are looking forward to this. It's like it says there, uh, the creation waits eagerly. It's like anticipating, like, come on, let's get this thing going for the new heavens and the new earth. And the second thing I wanted to point out to you is verse 20. It says, creation was subjected to futility. Why is there death? disease and cancer in the world what is your theology what is your understanding of of those things it's because creation was corrupted creation was corrupted at the fall when adam sinned it affected everything it affected everything the ground was cursed it sent shock waves across the universe because the universe was no longer in its perfect state but it was marred by sin it was marred by the curse, by, our, by Adam's disobedience, but also, as him being our federal head, our disobedience brought the fall. Third thing, in verse 21, it says, uh, creation will be set free. It says, creation will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Creation, the heavens and the earth, look forward to a day when they will be not be subjected to the fall. It's going to come. Just as you and I are going to be redeemed, all of creation is going to be redeemed. All creation is going to be redeemed. The animal kingdom is going to be redeemed. All of creation, the heavens and the earth are going to be redeemed. Check this out. As I was studying this week, I found a Bible verse on the Big Bang and global warming. Can I share it with you this morning? I found a Bible verse, so I support the, the Big Bang, and I support, uh, and I believe in global warming. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It says the heavens will disappear with a roar. There is a Big Bang. And it's coming where the heavens are going to disappear with a roar. Where he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And notice how he's going to do it. It says the elements will be destroyed by fire. They think those polar claps are melting now. Just wait for this moment in time. 
they think that the planets get in trouble with holes in the ozone layer and the caps melting. Wait till this happens. They're going to see a serious, a serious global warming because God is going to bring in a new heavens and new earth. That's a big thought. Okay? That's a wow. That's a hard to get your mind wrapped around thought that he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But guess what? It's the promise of the word of God. It's the promise of the word of God. And it's big thoughts for big minds because we serve a big God and he's going to be faithful to do it. Create this new heavens and new earth. So how should we live? I had to, I had to add this verse in there. The, the very next verse, 2 Peter 3.11 says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, it's going to disappear with a roar. It's going to burn because everything in it is contaminated, is corrupted by sin. God's going to completely wipe it out, create a new heavens and a new earth where the lamb lays with the lion, where children play with the vipers. It's going to be a perfect kingdom. But it says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Knowing, us knowing as believers that there's coming a new heavens and a new earth, it should spur you and I on to living for Jesus more and more in complete devotion, in complete surrender to him because we know what was, what's coming. We, we know what's coming in the future. It's going to be amazing. Verse 23, Romans chapter 8. Take a look at this. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. Now, it says right there in verse 23, if you're in Christ, it says, you have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, what is this? I believe this is the first work of the Spirit in us. This is that Holy Spirit coming in us, making us born again, bringing salvation. It's the Holy Spirit coming in us and adopting us into the family of God. That's the first work of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. But notice what it says. That's the first work. So that means there's a continued work of the Holy Spirit. It says, but even... We ourselves, even, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. The Holy Spirit groans within us. It yearns within us for what? The redemption of the body. That day we look forward to where death will be no more, where Christ will return, where we, where we proclaim Maranatha, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's get this party started. Let's, let's see the kingdom. Amen? Amen? Amen. But we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And as he works, as he adopts us, as he brings salvation. But let me just say this. As we were looking at the Holy Spirit last week and this week. The Spirit continues to work in the body of Christ today. He continues to work. We are working on getting some of the sermons recorded. But I want to encourage you to go back and, and listen to last week's message on Romans, uh, on the first part of Romans chapter 8, as we were looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. But this is just the beginning. He continues to work throughout our life in the process of sanctification. Verse 24, For in hope 
we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But we hope for what we do not see. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. It says, we hope for what we do not see. I've never seen Jesus with my eyes. I've never heard his voice. But by faith, I believe in him. I trust in him. And I trust in his word given to me. And that gives me hope. The Holy Spirit brings hope. The Holy Spirit brings hope in our lives. What is hope? Hope is expectation of coming good. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Especially when you consider the new heavens, the new earth, and heaven. But even in this life, okay, I don't believe we just abandon our life. I want to say the best is yet to come, even in this life now. Despite our trials, despite our tribulations, despite the difficult times, the best is yet to come. And in this life that you live in the here and now, as you seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as you put your hands to the plow and serve in the Lord, the best is yet to come here and now. The Holy Spirit brings this hope, expectation of coming good, and the Holy Spirit brings perseverance. The Holy Spirit gives you and I perseverance. I talked about this last week. We got to stay the course. You've got to, men, you've got to stay the course in following Christ. You've got to stay the course in leading your home. Ladies, you've got to stay the course in taking care of your children. You've got to stay the course in, 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 in taking care of your children and taking care of your family. And being a godly family, you've got to stay the course. The Holy Spirit gives us perseverance to stay the course. And don't go to the left and don't go to the right, but stay the course. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to Christ. Okay? Stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. But above all things, let him be first in your life and stay faithful. And remember this. His word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you there in the fire when you go through the difficult times. Shadrach, what happened uh, when they looked in the furnace and they saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What'd they see? They saw, they, they saw Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit, a Christophany, a, a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament. He was there with them in the fire. And he was there, it was visible, they saw it, it's recorded in the word, and it's the promise to you and I. Because you and I have been adopted and brought into the kingdom, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I will make your life stable. I will give you a home. And the same picture that we see adoption in our system today is the same system, is the same setup that he adopts us and gives us a home and gives us stability. Amen? Father God in heaven, just thank you now, Lord, for um, your word. Father, if there's anybody here struggling, thinking, has God left me? Has God deserted me? Lord, I pray that as your word has went forth, we proclaim, I proclaimed it, I've taught it, I've showed your people what you've shown me, that you'll remind them that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Your word, Jesus says, Hebrews 13, 8, you're the same yesterday, 
today and forever. You don't change. You are faithful. Church, the word says, uh, when we are faithless, he is faithful. God, let that truth sink deep in our hearts. You've adopted us. You've given us a new home, a new name, a new heart. And we're loved by you. If you would like to join us during our weekly Sunday services, we meet at 10 a.m. 110 Hunter Village Drive in Irmo, South Carolina. Feel free to call us with any needs you may have at 803-917-8792.